All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we are doing a Q&A episode where I will be answering your Atlanta Falcon questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at FalcFans, and of course the host of this world-renowned Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. And today is a Q&A episode where I will be answering many of your listener questions. And some of the questions that we'll be answering on today's podcast are talking about fixing the Falcons playbook, tagging Austin Hooper, possible trade scenarios, various off-season scenarios like in the draft and free agency. So those are some of the topics that are coming up on today's episode. And I should note because... Monday. Well, we no, we won't do a Monday mailbag. So I will do my best to try to get through as many of these questions on today's podcast, because we probably will not be doing a mailbag next week. So I will sort of tell you guys what's up for next week's show at the end of the show. But um, yeah, so let's stop wasting time and let's sort of jump right into it. Our first question comes from Patrick Houston. He's he asks. Dirk Cutter has sat at home and seen Kyle Shanahan's offense win the NFC twice and play in two Super Bowls. Why doesn't Dirk Cutter deconstruct the Shanahan scheme and duplicate it? I know there is more to it than replicating the playbook. There's game planning, blocking schemes, and play calling. This is why I think it's possible. Cutter has the playbook as well as Alex Mack, Julio Jones, Hooper, Freeman, Schaub, and oh yeah, the 2016 MVP quarterback and the head coach. If I was in charge, I would mandate all those guys sit in a room with the film from 2016 and implement the Shanahan offense for 2020. Where am I going wrong? I'm with you, Patrick. As fans, as outsiders like ourselves, it seems like a pretty no-brainer to do this. Uh, you take a deep look at the film of one of the best offenses that there's ever been and heavily borrow from it and prosper. But apparently that's not the way it works in the NFL for some reason. And I don't necessarily know why my only guess is it's related to my other beef that I don't think the NFL is really good at self-evaluation. I've gone on rants in the past about how NFL teams don't scout NFL players, which is one of the reasons why I think you have so many free agent misses that teams only scout guys coming into the league. And after four or five years in the pros, they just kind of assume that guys can do certain things and you'll have a guy play for Houston and do a B and C well. And then he gets signed by the Falcons and they'll ask him to do X, Y, and Z. And then wonder why Dante Robinson didn't live up to his contract to just use one example. So I don't know why that is, you know, again, I think it's sort of related to the lack of self-evaluation, the, the related to, something where just teams do not look elsewhere in the league or at themselves in the league as much as they probably should. Why isn't play action more heavily featured in this offense? Why aren't we running the tight end throwback anymore? Why don't we use the Yankee concepts anymore? And these were things that are staples of the Shanahan offense and were extremely effective, not just in 2016, but also in 2015 and are seemingly just gone from the playbook. And it really makes zero sense. So I'm with you on this, but I don't have an explanation. Our next question comes from Jonathan Moulton at Johnny P 35 on Twitter. He asks if the Falcons can't decide to keep Hooper, 
why wouldn't they franchise tag him and then can either keep him a year cheaper than maybe what his market will be or trade him and get a first, or is it not that simple? Well, looking at overthecap.com, they have the 2020 franchise tag projected to be about $11.1 million this year for the tight end and the transition tag to be about $9.3 million, just FYI. Now, as I've said before, I think you could probably get Hooper back on a new contract with a 2020 cap hit of around $7 million, just based off of my rough estimates. So if you do tag him, you'll wind up incurring a $4 million increase in, in losing $4 million in cap space, which is basically the equivalent of losing a quality starter, which I think is one of the reasons why myself and others seem to think that the Falcons are reluctant to tag Hooper. And you couple that with sort of what they've said about Hooper is not the same that they've said and how they've approached other players when it's come to guys that were possible tags like Grady Jarrett a year ago. So I would disagree with you, Jonathan, that it's a cheaper notion. You could certainly argue it's cheaper long-term because a tag would be like a one-year $11 million commitment, while a long-term deal would be a three-year $25 to $30 million commitment. So long-term, it's cheaper, but not necessarily short-term. It's it's more expensive probably in all likelihood. Secondly, I would say you're probably not going to get a first-round pick for Austin Hooper. You're probably not even going to get a second-round pick for Austin Hooper. The rumor was that the Patriots wanted to trade for Hooper during the season and probably would have offered a second-round pick for Hooper at that time. But I think they were willing to give that up in October. But in March, you're going to have a lot more options available to you. And so the price tag of off-season trades tends to go down. You know, so I think really you're going to get a third if you're going to tag and trade Hooper at best, which is what's the point of that? I think the thing with Hooper is, and I've said it before, given his age, he's 25, given the fact that we know Titans can play at a reasonably high level until they're 30 or beyond, you're getting about another five plus peak years of Austin Hooper if you resign him potentially. Um, and I think that has to be factored in one of the reasons why the Falcons are incentivized to keep Hooper, not simply because, hey, it might pay off for the offense in 2020, which I do think is part of the equation. But it's also like we're weighing five plus years of Austin Hooper versus the alternative. So I think that's something that you have to consider. And a player I've compared him to a lot over the years is a guy like a Kyle Rudolph. And certainly you can sit there and say, yeah, Kyle Rudolph's not an elite tight end, but he's been a steady contributor to the Vikings over the last nine seasons. He just wrapped up his third age 30 season in 29 and still graded out as a quality starter for the Vikings this year, despite the fact that he was, you know, sharing reps with Irv Smith, the rookie tight end for them. So there's more to come, more questions to answer, including we will get into sort of a timeline for when we might see the Falcons make some roster cuts coming up on today's podcast. But I know this time of year, everybody's all about trying to get into shape with their physical fitness, but maybe we should be spending more time talking about mental fitness and calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation. It's teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and calm know your mind is like any other muscle in your body. Calm can help you train your brain so you can sleep better, have less stress and perform at your best in 2020. If you head over to calm.com slash lockdown, 
Amazon. You'll get 40% off a Calm Premium membership. You can get access to nature sayings and sounds and so much more like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership by checking out Calm.com slash LockedOn. Unlock all the content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better in 2020. Again, get started at calm.com slash locked on. That's calm.com slash locked on. So our next question comes from one flew over to Falcons nest at Mave two one two four on Twitter. He asked, when were Rocky and Brooks Reed cut last year? Wasn't it before the combine figure? We won't know what is going on with the team until we see some projected cuts uh, until we see which projected cuts are actually made. And he lists Ty stocker, Bailey and free. Yeah. Uh, Brooks Reed and Robert Alford were cut officially on February 6th and 7th last year. We got a lot of stuff before the combine last year. We got the Matt Bryant news. We got Brian Poole wasn't getting tendered before the combine. I'm sure there was other stuff that I'm forgetting. You go look at the calendar. You know, the Falcons really technically don't really have to make their first decision until like February 25th, which is the date that they have to decide whether they're going to pick up Matt Schaub's option or make him a free agent. And you have guys like... Carpenter, Bailey, Sambrello, they have guarantees and bonuses that kick in in the first weeks of the league year, which is between March 20th and 22nd. So technically, the Falcons don't have to make a decision on those guys until, you know, the days leading up to that point. But we'll probably hear something before then. So I do think you're right, Andy, in, in saying that, you know, what cuts and restructures the Falcons make will determine a lot for what is going to be going on with this offseason. And I think we're just going to have to be patient. You know, we'll we'll know a lot more about the Falcons plan on doing this offseason, you know, three weeks from now than we do right now. So we'll see what happens. Mantis Toboggan, MD, at Sebastian's Dad 19 on Twitter asks, let's say we get rid of Hooper. Would it make logical sense to draft a tight end in the second or third round and sign a veteran tight end a la Cameron Brake? Dirk needs good quality tight ends for his system to be decent. If this domino effect happens, do you see us entertain the notion of signing Fowler and then drafting a running mate for Grady with the first pick? Is this wishful thinking? I need answers. So Matthew, first I would say let's pump the brakes slightly on the Fowler stuff. Um, it's certainly worthy of discussion as we discussed it on this podcast, but I don't think anybody at this point should assume that Fowler to Atlanta is a done deal. Remember Bruce Irvin also wanted to be a Falcon way back in 2016 and he wound up signing with the Oakland Raiders. So we'll just have to sort of wait and see with the Fowler stuff. But basically the rumor is he wants to be a Falcon. Who knows if the Falcons want Fowler to be a Falcon. Second of all, I would say, I think it's somewhat wishful thinking, but I think it's a pretty good plan. You know, the question is going to be, who is this running running mate for Grady Jarrett? You know, I personally don't expect Javon Kinlaw to last to pick 16, but we'll see if I'm wrong on that. You know, is Neville Gallimore going to be worthy of that selection? The Oklahoma D tackle. If he blows up the combine, like many suspect he will, maybe we can start having that conversation in a couple of weeks. Technically you could say AJ Epinesa is a Grady Jarrett running mate because on passing downs, he would often line up inside. So you could have a foursome of, Tack Fowler on the edges and Grady and Epinesa on the inside. As for your plan at the tight end position, I think it makes sense. It's one that I've talked about before. Tight end is a position that I think has a fairly steep learning curve entering the NFL. You see guys like Kittle and Howard and Hawkinson and Fant and 
Joku and Goddard, none of those guys got off to really fast starts in their rookie seasons in the NFL. So I think if you want to get value at maximum value at that tight end position, relying on a rookie is probably a bad plan. So I think a veteran like Brait makes a lot of sense, particularly if he gets cut by the Buccaneers and he would be a natural fit there. Him and Hooper have, you know, similar skill sets. And of course he's familiar with Dirk Cutter. Vance McDonald's another name I would just throw out there. He, if he gets cut by the Steelers, but I've read that he's probably not going to get cut. So we'll see, but it's, that's another possibility out there. If he becomes available, if, if Bray doesn't become available, Mave two, one, two, four's next question is, would you be able to do a fan talk with a season ticket holder? I'd like to see what a diehard fan who attempts games in the bins each week thinks of things. Now they've all bleed together, but I'm pretty sure we've done a couple of fan talks with season ticket holders. I know we've done like 30 or 40 fan talks over the last two and a half years, but I'm pretty sure we've done at least a handful with season ticket holders. I I recall at least one last year, somewhere around late September, early October, one was with a season ticket holder. I apologize for not remembering the specific one, but yeah, I'm certainly open to it. And if you're a season ticket holder listening to this right now, or know a season ticket holder, who you think would be good on the podcast and you want to do a fan talk or they want to do a fan talk. Why don't you hit me up via email at locked on Falcons at mail.com and tell me what your availability and, and see if you can give Andy the content on the lockdown podcast network that he wants. And we got additional content coming up on today's podcast, including talking about the possibility of trading Desmond Trufant. Uh, but before we get there, since we're talking about, potential Falcon trades. Let's talk about some Hawk trades or really any NBA trades. And of course you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team on the lockdown podcast network, including the Atlanta Hawks who made a ton of trades this past week. Find the lockdown Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Roland on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and Spotify. So not Ashton Kutcher at the biased truth on Twitter Asked, I saw some Bleacher Report article talking about trades, and it mentioned the Falcons trading Trufant. Do you see any chance of this? And Joe Bexar at Joe Bear seventy four on Twitter followed up to add to this: What would the team still owe him if he's traded? So I'm assuming a non Ashton Kutcher person that you are referring to the article written by Britt Sobleski on Bleacher Report that dropped on Thursday and what sort of he outlined 32 quote unquote ideal trades for each NFL team. And he had the Falcons trading a third round pick to the LA Chargers for Mike Pounce, Mike Pouncey to fill in their need at left guard. But he also suggested the 49ers trading for Desmond Trufant and giving up a third round pick in Solomon Thomas to the Falcons. So we'll focus on the latter trade here. Um, but before we do to answer Joe's specific question, according to over the cap, you would still be eating about $10.2 million in dead money to make the trade of true You're not saving any additional cap space by trading him versus cutting him. And you would wind up saving about $5 million, but essentially getting rid of Desmond Trufant, whether you trade him or cut him, you're basically going to be paying $10 million for him not to play for your football team. Uh, as for the possibility of that trade happening, I wouldn't outright dismiss the possibility, but I'm not going to lie and say I'm very biased against that possibility. I think it's a very small chance that it would happen. I'm not one of these people that's particularly high on Isaiah Oliver and, and Kendall Sheffield. And I don't mean 
that I'm like closing the door. I think they're bad or anything like that. I think they have the potential to develop into good players. Really what I mean is today I consider them to be backup caliber cornerbacks. And so I think trusting one of them to be a starter in 2020 is a gamble. I think trusting both of them in 2020 to be starters is a massive gamble. Now, maybe that's a gamble that works out in the Falcons favor, but I think that's a huge risk. It's a high risk kind of low reward type of move in my eyes. Um, so I'm certainly firmly on team Trufant, you know, firmly, you have to keep Trufant hashtag can't trade or cut Trufant in 2020, but maybe the Falcons feel differently. And I'd like to believe though, if they do feel differently and would be willing to part ways with Desmond Trufant, that they could get more than a third round pick for him, especially in this specific trade that, uh, Brent, uh, suggested, considering the 49ers don't even have a third round pick this year because they already traded it for Emmanuel Sanders. And you're saying, well, maybe they can get a second round pick from the 49ers for Desmond Trufant. Well, guess what guys, they already traded a second round pick for D Ford. So really the 49ers aren't really in, in the situation to make trades. So I'm already against the trade. And then in this specific example, I guess if you're suggesting that they wait for a 2021 third round pick to me is absolute nonsense to me. Even if it was for a 2020 third round pick, I feel like you're, you know, in a hypothetical situation where the 49ers did have that or found a way to acquire that in another way in order to facilitate that trade. I think you're basically putting this trade entirely on Solomon Thomas having a monster year again because I don't have as much confidence that your cornerbacks are going to basically make this trade worthwhile which again, I think is a gamble given that Thomas has been a less productive pass rusher every single year that he's been in the league. So I've been caught off guard enough times with the Falcons making odd or questionable or out of left field decisions that I'll never dismiss any possibility. But I would hope that if the Falcons were to trade Desmond Trufant, they would get something much, much better than what is suggested here. Joe Bear 74 also asks, would you rather keep Hooper and draft a defensive end or sign Fowler and draft a tight end? I guess the simple answer, the easy answer is I'd probably go for Hooper and a defensive end. But the reason why I don't necessarily see it as so simple is because in my eyes, it really depends on who the defensive end and who the tight end is that you're considering. You know, I know what people kind of hate when I say stuff like this, but True, my honest, my honest opinions are based off of seeing things, and that's especially true with seeing players. I don't have opinions of players I haven't really watched play football. So when you sort of use these nebulous positions where it's like DE versus tight end, it's like you're not drafting a DE. You're not drafting a tight end. You're drafting a specific player that plays DE. You're drafting a specific player that plays tight end. And so it's never uh, all things being equal type of scenario that people like to portray it as because those are two completely different players with two completely different skill sets that fit two completely different offenses or defenses or whatever the case may be. So it's never an all things being equal type of scenario. And in this case, when it comes to Fowler, I'm not really in favor or against Fowler in any major way, really until I sit down and watch his 2019 film. I'd have to go through, you know, I plan on going through every sack, every quarterback hit he had this past year. Then I would probably watch his highest graded game, his lowest graded game, according to Pro Football Focus, before even coming close to having a strong opinion on whether or not I would prefer him over Austin Hooper. And so it's one of those things where just because I'm more familiar with Austin Hooper, having watched every snap he's played this past year and every snap he's played over the last four years, 
you know, compared to I've only seen one game from Dante Fowler in 2019, and it happened to be his highest graded game as a pass rusher because it came against the Falcons, and he was absolutely a beast in that game. But I also know that that's not the player that he was every other game this past season, and I know it wouldn't be the type of games that he would have moving forward because every game he wouldn't have be facing an overwhelmed rookie Caleb McGarry at the right tackle position every single week. So then again, going back to what I said earlier, like who's the defensive end, who's the tight end, you know, is it a first round defensive end like Calavon chase on or AJ Epinesa? Is it the top tight end in the class who I personally think is Adam Troutman out of Dayton, you know, and, and where are you picking Troutman? Are you picking him at 16? Are you picking him at 47? Are you picking him at 55? Are you picking him at 78? You know, I also have to do a lot more homework on this year's crop of edges. Chason and Epinesa are really the only guys I've watched more than one game of. So I don't really have a, as good a feel of this DE class as I do as the tight end class. So, again, I know people are going to hear me say all that stuff and be like, Aaron, you're just overanalyzing and just make a, a simple choice. Again, the simple answer without thinking about it would be Hooper in a DE versus Fowler in a tight end. But Again, I could easily change my mind once I sit down and watch more Fowler or sit down and watch more of these defensive ends and come to be like, oh, I don't really love this defensive end class. I'd rather go out and get a quote unquote sure thing in free agency at, at defensive end and then, you know, be willing, a lot more willing to roll the dice on the tight end. That may be an opinion I might have a month from now. Who knows at this point in time? So um, Justin Sandu at Justin two o. One two two four on Twitter asks if a new CBA miraculously gets done before the league, the new league year. Do you think the Falcons will cut Freeman and Carpenter with a post June one designation? I am honestly, I don't know how exactly how it works. I would think Freeman is a possibility. I don't know about Carpenter because Carpenter has guarantees that hit around March 20th. And I don't know how the post June one designation affects that. As I understand it, the way that the post June one cut works is, you know, basically you cut a guy in March, that guy immediately becomes a free agent. He is no longer on your roster, so he's free to sign with somebody else, but it's treated as far as your salary cap goes and financially like he's still on the team. He's still on your books until, until June 2nd where he comes off it and you save uh, potentially more cap space than you would if you had just cut him outright in March. Because of the quirks of Carpenter's contract, I don't know, you know, because basically the way his contract works is part of his salary becomes fully guaranteed this March. And so how does that work if he's a post-June 1 cut? And you couple that with the fact that the Falcons kind of need cap space now and not later. I mean, they probably will need some later when they try to sign their rookies, but that's a bridge they can cross when they get to it. And so I don't necessarily know, even if the post June one cut was available um, this March because a collective new collective bargaining agreement got done between now and March 18th, which it doesn't seem likely in my eyes. I don't know if the Falcons would really utilize that sort of designation. So Joe bear has another question. Can you give us a little more info on the 30% rule? Let's take Dak. For example, he wants 40 million per year, but made 2 million this year. Does that mean he can't make 3 million in 2020? If that's the case, shouldn't these players hold off on the new CBA? Well, the, 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 First of all, the 30% rule only applies to 2020 salary and beyond. So the fact that Dak made $2 million in 2019 doesn't matter. Uh, the easiest explanation for the 30% rule is basically your 2020 salary 
can only go up 30% from 2020 to 2021. And then in subsequent years by that same um, difference. So for I've used a past example, if a guy has a $10 million salary this upcoming season in 2020, the highest his salary can be in 2021 is 13 million because 30% of 10 million is 3 million and 10 plus three is 13. Then in 2022, it can only go up again, a max of 3 million again. So it can't go higher than 16 million. And the way that also could work is like, let's say a guy has 10 million salary this year and it only goes up to 11 million next year. The way I understand it works is then the, in that following year, it can only go up to 14 million again, only by $3 million. So it could go 10, 11, 14 in that way. So Dak is a free agent. So again, he's not under contract for 2020. So right now he's owed $0 in um, 2020 money. Um, But his contract, whatever he winds up signing, presumably with the Cowboys will have to comply to that rule when a deal gets done. From what I understand, and again, I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but the easiest workaround for it is by giving out big signing bonuses to players because signing bonuses don't aren't considered as part of the the, the money. The way I understand it, the, the salary that it, the quote unquote salary that is being factored in uh, that is can only go up thirty percent is the guy's base salary, any option bonuses, any roster bonuses that he receives. So basically, it's any non signing bonus. As you, the simple way of understanding it, it's any non signing bonus money that a guy is due in a given year can only go up thirty percent the subsequent year. So you look at, for Dak specifically, you look at Russell Wilson's contract that he signed last spring and it was worth like $140 million over five years, 35 million a year. He got like a $65 million signing bonus and his 2020 salary is 18 million. It goes up to 19 million in 2021. Um, but it could, at least if it was complying with the 30% rule, it could go as up as high as like $23.4 million. So I don't think it's going to be a big issue for Dak nor for Dallas because they have a ton of cap space. So he'll probably wind up, you know, if whether he signs for 35 or $40 million or whatever he winds up signing for, he'll probably get like a ridiculously high signing bonus like Russell Wilson did for like $75 million and it'll be fine. We've got another question from Davon Wilson at DWizzy 1997. He asked, what are some big moves we can make this offseason? Could we sign a decent running back, wide receiver, Fowler, Hunter Henry? If so, what are some quick names? So I think realistically the salary cap is going to prevent the Falcons from making the quote unquote big moves that you're talking about, but let's assume that the salary cap isn't as restrictive and let's have some fun, you know, but let's still try to ground it in some reality, you know, as for the running back position, Melvin Gordon turned down a $10 million a year contract last year from the Chargers, So I'm not expecting him to come for considerably cheaper, but you could probably potentially get like someone like a Carlos Hyde for half that number for five or 6 million a year. Uh, as for a wide receiver, you could probably get Muhammad Sanu back on a one year, $5 million deal. Assuming the Patriots cut him. I don't think Hunter Henry is going to be any cheaper or, you know, slightly, he might be slightly cheaper than Austin Hooper is. So if Austin Hooper is $10 million then Hunter Henry is going to be like $9.8 million. So practically $10 million. So I feel like maybe of the sort of big three tight ends, Eric Ebron might be the cheapest just because in the past he's already hit the market and only and got a relatively low level deal. And so I'm thinking maybe you could get him in like somewhere in the seven to $8 million a year range, potentially if, if a similar thing happens this off season, given 
his injury history, given his inconsistency and whatnot. So maybe he won't command as much on the open market as Hooper and Henry might. But I also sort of think Cameron Braid's going to come around in that same price, somewhere in that six and a half to seven and a half million dollar a year range as well. So he would also be a potential quote unquote big move that I think is a little bit more realistic. Our last question comes from Malachi at Mahaffey Malachi on Twitter. What do you think about this draft scenario I came up with? Take Epinesa at 16, then take Cushenberry with our first, second round pick, trade Devontae for a fourth, take Swift with the Patriots second, and then focus on the secondary and depth for the rest of the draft. What are your thoughts on Swift? Well, my thoughts on Swift, DeAndre Swift, right? Uh, I think he's good. I don't watch as much Georgia football as I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast are. And I know some of you just swerved out the road hearing that the blasphemy, but you know, my impression of Swift when I've have watched Georgia football is I think he's good. I wasn't blown away by him. I didn't, you know, and that's probably in part due to the fact that Georgia has had so many good running backs, certainly in recent years, like Gurley and, and Chubb and, and Sony Michelle that Swift didn't really stand out as special in my eyes compared to some of those guys, but that's not a reflection. that I think he's a bad player by any means. It's just like, Oh yeah, it's another good Georgia running back. whoop de doo You know, I haven't really done a deep dive on this year's running back class, but I've watched some of the top running backs and none of them have really gotten me super, super excited as like, Oh, that's the guy I want, you know, in the same way that guys like C Mac and Josh Jacobs and Dalvin cook have done in previous years. So, but again, I've, I've kind of barely scratched the surface with the running back position. I think other than that, you know, I think that's a pretty solid scenario. My only quibble would be, I don't think you're going to get a fourth round pick for Devonte Freeman. I think you might get a six round pick. As I said earlier, I think trade value in March is very different from what trade value is in October. In October, teams were willing to offer more because they have limited options then. You don't have $50 million in cap space to spend. You don't have a dozen or more free agents available. You don't have 20 talented young players available in the draft to choose from in October like you do in March and April. Not to mention you have various reports that have come out over the last couple of days and weeks and months that suggest that Todd Gurley and David Johnson could also be on the move this offseason. I've also heard rumors dating from like October that Le'Veon Bell, you know, the, the Jets are going to try to get out of that contract sooner rather than later. So there's a whole bunch of other opportunities for teams to make trades to the point that I don't think you're going to get a fourth round pick for Devontae Freeman. Hell, I don't think you were going to get a fourth round pick for Devontae Freeman back in October when he was being shot to the Lions. I think... That was probably more, most likely to be a fifth round pick. And thus, because of what I just said, I don't think you're going to get as much now as you could have then. So that's why I say a six round pick. So that would be the one thing I think you're, you're at most, you're going to get a six round pick for Devonte if you trade him at this point in time. So, but other than that, your scenario is pretty solid. So there you have it guys. We got through all the questions. Appreciate everybody for sending in their uh, questions on Twitter. Of course, all, most of those people, with the exception of Patrick, Patrick sent in his question via email, which you can do at locked on Falcons at mail.com. And of course you can hit me up for future fan talks, which we will get to uh, later this off season, but uh, there's just so much other content that I got to get to guys. Um, and of course you can hit me up on Twitter at locked on Falcons or via Facebook at locked on Falcons. If you have additional questions, comments, or feedback that you want to provide me. And of course, as always, guys, you got to, you know, rate this podcast, give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you're listening to me right now, including Apple podcasts and Stitcher so that more people can find how great this show is and can listen to me answer all your great listener questions on a 
probably weekly basis or close to weekly basis as we get further along in the off season. Certainly in late March, we're going to definitely do a bunch of Q and A's. You can trust me when we get to that dead point, when no one's signing free agents and whatnot, but that's also probably a good time for us to do some fan talks as well. So, Oh, I said that we would, I would tell you guys what's up for next week. Well, guess what? Next, next week is going to be our ultimate division crossover where I will be joined by the host of locked on saints, Ross Jackson, locked on Panthers, Bill Rossetti, locked on bucks, David Harrison and James Yarko. And we're going to be talking all about the NFC South. You're going to hear their thoughts on the Falcons. Of course, my thoughts on the Falcons, my thoughts on the saints, their thoughts on the saints, their thoughts on the Panthers. You get the gist of it. So this is going to be a network wide event. So all the NFL shows are going to be doing their own ultimate division crossovers. So we're just going to dig deep on all four teams in the NFC South next week. We're going to spread it out across the entire week. So definitely you want to stay tuned. We're going to go in division order. So Monday, yes, you're going to have to hear us talk about the New Orleans Saints, but I will promise you I will try my best to dunk on the Saints. So definitely you want to check out that episode because at some point I'm going to dunk on the Saints. Uh, and then Tuesday we'll get to the Falcons and get the other hosts Thoughts on the Falcons as well, in addition to mine. And then we'll move on to the box and then the Panthers, right? If do I got the order the division, right? I apologize if I messed that up, but I think it's right. Yeah. The season finale decided who won second place, right? That's what I recall it being, but who knows at this point it's, you know, 2019 is out of sight, out of mind as far as I'm concerned, but that's the order. So you definitely want to check it out. I think that's going to be fun for you guys. I know some of you are like, Oh, I just want to hear about the Falcons. I don't care about the other teams. Like you do care about the other teams because it does add context. It does add color to the Falcons because you're not just living in a vacuum and you need to understand what other teams are doing, particularly in the division, because that's going to determine six of the Falcons, 16 games and their success in 2020. So don't just outright dismiss it. You got to become smarter and learn more about the other 31 teams. Trust me, it will give you much more insights and much more details and thoughts and knowledge about what's going on with the Falcons. If you can understand what the other 31 teams are doing. So definitely want to check it out, guys. It's going to be fun. I look forward to it. I hope you do too. We'll be back on Monday, starting off with the ultimate division of crossover with the new Orleans saints. Get ready to get dunked on Ross. I'm coming for you. Until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.